thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who will always find Waldo, Mike Vandebogart. <laughs> thanks, Joe. Uh, what's going on, everyone? Uh, thanks for tuning in. A couple of interesting updates. So, Joe, I've been getting contacted by uh, several different people in the last couple of weeks. Uh, one lady contacted me about uh, some information we we had in the Alaska Triangle episode. And she's uh, she's actually a Native American um, lady, and she's she's got a degree in anthropology. So I think next fall we're gonna try to work with her on doing a full episode on kind of Native American myth and folklore. Ooh, that'd be awesome! Like, is she is she a specialist in that area or just in general? Um, I I haven't gone too deep <clears throat> into conversations with her, but she she said she's done a lot of research in this area and knows knows a lot about it and knows a lot of people who know a lot of information about it so perfect um i we might have her on as a guest interview for a future episode this fall on an episode entirely around kind of native american myths so i think it'll be a a fun episode yeah that'd be great i'd I'd learn a lot about it too it's a lot of fascinating uh history and uh i think it it's really cool to to talk about because i i don't think you hear a lot about it in a lot of other podcasts so um I think it'll be fun to do. And another lady reached out to me about, I believe it was our episode five on Michael Allen Fissery. And she's actually the sister of Michael. And she said she was on the ground for the search and rescue. And we we did get some information incorrect in the original episode. So I think we're probably going to do a follow-up episode on that case and yeah correct. absolutely if we can if we can correct some information 100 percent. yeah we're going to correct a correct the record on some information we said and also i'm um, i'm hoping that her that she can add some additional information to the case and potentially also come on for a guest interview regarding that case so a couple cool developments that i think we'll be working on in the fall no, that'll be great. We'll open up with a real strong uh, couple episodes. Yeah, and obviously this is our second to last episode of before our summer break, and our final episode will be on Area 51, so I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> is this is this season two of the podcast? It kind of is, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's amazing how fast time flies. So um, we're, we're wrapping up another season, I guess, and uh, this, is a, this is a real interesting case we're about to talk about. It's it's been it has been written a lot about but uh, i'm excited to hear about it (laughs) absolutely well without further ado let's get going all right all right everybody let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown July 25th, 1981, 14-year-old Stacy Aris 
along with eight others, went horseback riding in Yosemite National Park. After a long day of horseback riding, the group stopped at Sunrise High Sierra Camp. Stacy told her father that she was going on a short hike to take pictures. This is the last time anyone would see Stacy. Join us this week as we investigate the disappearance of Stacy Aris. Stacy Aris went missing around the Sunrise High Sierra Camp in Yosemite National Park. And Joe, Yosemite is, we've talked about Yosemite in a past episode, and this is by far probably number one on my list of national parks right now to visit. Um, yeah, I'd I, say mine too. Yeah, and I think if we're, I don't know if you're coming with or not this August, but we're still planning to uh, head out there for kind of a hike and then a little party that weekend. <laughs> oh, I'll be there for the weekend part for sure. Yeah. I, I have to see if I can make it for the hike before the party weekend. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, the party the party is obviously, you don't want to miss that, but the hiking will be a lot of fun too. I think we're going to try to hike the chains on Half Dome. I, I believe it was episode five. Another gentleman by the name Michael Allen Fissery went missing in Yosemite National Park. So if you haven't already listened to that episode, I would listen to that one too once you're done with this. But Yosemite is in California, and it's a it's a pretty old park. It was established on October first, eighteen ninety, and it's it's big. It's over seven hundred forty seven thousand acres, or one point one million square miles, which, if you can think about that, that's about five times larger than Chicago. So it's a Jeez. it's a it's a massive it's park. Huge. Yeah, it's huge. And it sees a ton of visitors every year. So the, they average about 4 million people a year. So, And three-fourths of all those visitors happen in kind of the same time period. So you're talking your, you know, your June, July, August time frame. So it, it's a really busy park. But thankfully, it's a big park. So there's a, a ton of places to hike. Uh, some cool facts about Yosemite. It is home to... One of the tallest waterfalls in the world at over 2,425 feet. Yosemite Falls is, I guess, it is the tallest on the planet. So definitely something I, I hope to see if we get out to Yosemite this summer. Is that the one that is like you can see the firefall where like the light hits it certain way and it looks like it's like lava pouring over the edge? Yeah, they call them uh, moonbows. <laughs> moonbows. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think... Uh, no, there's there's the rainbows at night because we talked about that in the other episode. Yeah, as a fun fact. But I thought there was one called a firefall too, where the sun setting hits it just right and it looks like lava. I think you're right, and I think I think there's several waterfalls in the park that have these amazing rainbows that you can witness during the day, at sunset or even at night. The moonbows. So I'm I'm excited to possibly see a moonbow as well. Um, <laughs> so I. Yosemite Park was the first area of land set aside by the U.S. government for preservation protection. So that's a cool little fact. The giant, there's also giant sequoia trees that live in the park, and they can live up to 3,000 years old, which is pretty unbelievable that you have trees there that are 
3,000 years old. Just imagine what has happened throughout history in that 3,000 years. The, yeah, from when that thing was real tiny till yeah, now. The same tree. <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy to think about. A uh, famous writer, a lot of you probably know of him, John Muir was a naturalist and the founder of the Sierra Club. He was so taken with Yosemite that he headed up an effort for its preservation, and his efforts led to the park's establishment in 1890. And in 1903, President Theodore Roosevelt toured Yosemite with Muir, and in 1906, the park came under the federal government's control. So John Muir had a very influential role in getting this park set up and preserved. So uh, it's pretty cool. And obviously Theodore Roosevelt, I think Joe, is that, that's one of your favorite presidents, if Heck I yeah. recall. <laughs> I mean, he started the park service, basically. Yeah. So um, a pretty cool history of the park. A little in-depth information on its climate. Yosemite is has what people call a Mediterranean climate, meaning most of the precipitation falls during the mild winter and the other seasons are nearly dry. Less than 3% of the precipitation falls during the long, hot summers. So uh, it's definitely a park. If you're going hiking in the summer, you're going to want to make sure you either have a lot of water with you or you've got kind of a map marked with all the spots you can fill up. Because and that's can, just neat for hiking, too, because rain yeah. is, just makes it so much more difficult when you're camping. Yeah, and especially for people like us where we have to travel sometimes across the country to go hiking. You, you're there for one week, and you kind of play the, the weather lottery, hoping. Yeah. Remember, I mean, you remember our trip to, our first trip to Glacier. <laughs> yeah. It was just a rainy, <laughs> it was raining soggy the mess the whole time. And it was still a really cool hiking trip, but it just makes it miserable. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like I said, the climate is pretty hot and dry in the popular times that people go hiking. So, you know, bring a lot of water or, you know, have a map with where you can fill up uh, on your hike, which I think is pretty easy. There's a ton of little lakes throughout the park. So uh, that shouldn't really be a, an issue. Uh, terrain, it's it's very mountainous and rocky. There's a lot of granite slabs that you can hike on a lot of crevasses you can fall in um so it's some of the trails can get pretty pretty tough if you're inexperienced or not prepared so especially like i mentioned earlier the uh the chain the chains on half dome if anyone's into hiking and you don't know what that is after this episode go to google and look it up it it looks terrifying and amazing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, they're very dangerous. So, uh, girl just died on it a few months ago, correct? She slid off. Yeah, the problem is people try to hike it when it gets wet, and it's just a big slab of granite, and yeah, it gets you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> it gets slippery, and I've read articles about people trying to do it in sandals, and you know, a lot of these accidents, while really unfortunate, it's sometimes because the people don't prepare. That's like, I think most of the accidents we talk about that are solvable, yeah, are a result of unprepared, not knowing the climate, not knowing what gear you need, not knowing what you're doing, or not even climate. knowing the weather forecast for the day. I can tell you one hundred percent if I'm going to hike that the chain hike and there's you know a chance of rain in the afternoon, I probably won't do it. yeah, I might hike up to the base of it just to see it. But yeah, I'm not but not gonna, do the dangerous part. Yeah, and it, it gets really – you see these pictures. It gets backed up. I mean, it, it reminds me of the, the backups you see on Everest, it, just tons of people going up and down. And then you've got people that chain in every link, which you're not really supposed to do. And yeah. it, it, it slows it slows everyone down. And 
you really just got to you pack kind of light, you know, wear some hiking boots so that you have good traction on the bottom and, you know, don't go when there's a chance of rain. And I think you'd be fine and leave early. You want to beat the crowds there. Yeah. Yep, but, 100% agree. Yeah, so it looks like a really cool hike and there's a ton of other really cool hikes in the park. I think there's over I'll get into it, but yeah, there's over 800 miles of trails that you can hike, so you could spend a whole year hiking in the park. Uh, types of dangers in regards to animals, there's black bears, bighorn sheep, mountain lions, and mule deer. Those are kind of the big the big animals in the park. Nothing I would be too concerned about. You know, mountain lions, we've said in past episodes, if you have little children, just keep an eye on them. Don't let them, you know, out of your sight. In the park, black bears are not going to probably attack people unless they're provoked. Or you come across a bear with their their cubs. Yeah. And I haven't really read too many reports of people getting injured by or killed by animals in the park. So I think, you know, if you take precautions, you'll be fine. Um, Like I said, the terrain, it's wooded, granite, lots of water and shelter, lots of people. 800 miles or 1,300 kilometers of trails are available to hikers. Everything from easy stroll to challenging mountain hikes, and uh, or you can do overnight backpacking trips. So, obviously, one of the most popular trails leads to the summit of Half Dome, and I already knew this, but you have to get a permit to hike it during the day. So don't don't go to Yosemite and just start hiking towards Half Dome thinking you can go up it. You you have to get a permit to go up the chains. Uh, I'm sure people climb it all the time without a permit, but. Here at Locations Unknown, we like to follow the rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and they, they only select a maximum of 300 hikers by lottery, and you can you can get a few of them in advance. Otherwise, we, we signed up for a bunch of us signed up for the lottery. None of us got it. So you can still try and go there the day of and get permits at the, the ranger's office. Yeah, you office. look for people who are canceled. Yeah, and I think we'll have a good shot this year because – I've heard from people, a a lot of the visitors to the parks are foreigners. And with the coronavirus stuff going on, a lot of the foreign travel has pretty much, you know, ended uh, for the short term. So the park probably won't be as busy as it normally is. But I guess we'll we'll see when we get there. (laughs) All right. All right. So a character profile for Stacy. She was a 14 year old female at the time of her disappearance. She was born on September 29th of 1966, so she'd be 53 years old now. She was uh, five foot five and 120 pounds, so pretty much your typical 14-year-old female. Uh, she had blonde hair, blue eyes. The clothing she was last seen in was an off-white pullover hooded windbreaker with a horizontal zipper front pouch, a tight-fitting white jersey blouse with a square necklace, Edged with quarter-inch white lace, pull-on shorts with intermittent vertical blue pinstripes, and half-inch maroon and white stripes. Uh, size eight and a half or nine, gray nine-inch uh, gray hiking boots with rubber vibram soles, a gold double-wrapped ankle bracelet, and possibly a round blue stud earrings. I have to say that is the most in-depth uh, profile of what somebody is wearing I think we've ever done on a case. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's because they had a ton of pictures of her. Yeah. Because like, they were taking so many photos. Because a lot of time it's, I think they went out wearing this, and then yeah. they, no one's ever seen them again. So, I mean, from what I can gather by what she was last seen in and the time of the year she went hiking in Yosemite, <clears throat> even though she was at 9,200 feet, I think she was probably 
she had enough clothing that could she could probably stay out there for a night without you know succumbing to the elements and in, in that sure. kind of clothing. Uh, items she was carrying: she was carrying binoculars, a small Olympus camera with a multicolored embroidered neck strap, and possibly some chewing gum and cigarettes. <laughs> so she definitely did not have the gear. She had the clothing to probably weather a night, but she definitely didn't have the survival gear to really. Yeah, she wasn't intending to go camp. No, either. So I, it's unlike some of the people that we cover where they're not dressed appropriately. Mm-hmm. I think she was appropriate for what she was intending to do. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't walking away from the Sierra high camp, assuming she'd be spending the night in the woods. She figured she'd yes. be sleeping in a cabin. Yes. But you know, I, I, we've said this many times in a lot of different episodes, whenever I'm out hiking in a park or, you know, BLM lands, I always carry some survival equipment with me. Cause I, I you, you never know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. That's why I always get made fun of for bringing too much stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> but but guess what? <laughs> All I need is one. And I then, mean, yeah, I always, I always carry some uh, water, first aid equipment, some, you know, a little bit of food and, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, items to, you know, if you need to, I don't, I don't know, a knife and things like that, something to start a fire with because you, you never know what, yep. what might happen to you. 100% agree. Uh, yeah, so outside of the clothing and items, there wasn't a lot of other information about her personality or if she had medical issues or kind of occupation or hobby. I mean, she was 14 years old, so she didn't have a job yet. I'm assuming, and this is a big assumption, the fact that they were horseback riding these kind of high mountain trails that she must have had some kind of experience in the wilderness. Um, yeah, I think so. You don't just never hike a day in your life and then all of a sudden one trip you're you know riding horseback through the mountains yeah so big assumption on my part i have no data to back that up but that's just kind of my take on um this case so uh before we get into the timeline which joel will go through we have a word from our sponsor this episode of locations unknown is sponsored by payoff.com you've tried balance transfers in budgeting but high interest rates and unrelenting bill cycles make it almost impossible to get out of credit card debt on your own. Instead of another new savings technique, you need a clear path out of debt, and that's what a payoff loan can do. A payoff loan is a personal loan backed by member-centric credit unions designed to help you pay off your credit cards. With rates as low as 5.99% APR and loan amounts up to $35,000, there's no hidden fees and there's personal customer service support from Payoff to help you reach your financial goals. Some of the benefits of a Payoff loan may also include potential credit score boost, one monthly payment, and savings from lower interest rates. So go to payoff.com slash locations unknown to learn more. Checking your loan rates won't affect your credit score. So try something new. Pay off your credit card debt with Payoff. NMLS ID number 1396805. Not all applicants may qualify. Loans only available within the United States and loans are not available in all states. Payoff works with lending partners who originate the loans. Additional terms, conditions, and eligibility requirements may apply. More information is available at payoff.com slash locations unknown. 
On the 25th of July in 1981, Stacy Aris went on a horseback riding trip with her father, George, and seven others in the Sunrise Meadow area of Yosemite National Park in California. The group initially stopped for lunch at Upper Cathedral Lake and then kept riding towards the Sunrise High Sierra Camp. After riding a few hours, the group stopped at the cabins in the Sunrise High Sierra Camp. The group decided to freshen up after the ride and set up camp for the night. Sunrise Camp is the last camp on a 50-mile High Sierra Camp loop. A total of nine cabins provide beds for up to 34 guests in an alpine meadow facing Mount Florence and Mount Clark. So it sounds like a real beautiful area. That would be, and I mean, sleeping in a cabin is always wonderful when you normally are doing something else. Yeah, and I think people, these are kind of like old rustic cabins. I don't think it's, it's not like a, you know, a holiday inn at the top of the mountain. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, you know, yeah. Like a you, mountain chalet, but there's a bunch of them. Yeah. I mean, you have four walls and a roof above your head, but it's not, you know, anything too glamorous. Uh, that is glamorous <laughs> when yeah. you used to camp it in a tent in the rain for a week. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Stacy had complained of some aches and pains from riding all day and quickly went into the cabin she shared with her dad. She cleaned up, showered, changed her clothes for the evening. Now, there's an older member of the group named Gerald Stewart. He was in his 70s, roughly. He was sitting on a boulder about 100 feet away from the cabin just resting. Stacy told her dad she was going to go for a walk up to where Gerald was sitting to stretch her legs out and take some pictures of the views. She asked her dad if he wanted to go with her, but he told her he wasn't interested. She started to leave the cabin in sandals, but her dad stated that she should put on hiking boots if she was going to walk the trail. This would actually be the last conversation she had with her dad which has got to be eating him up inside because like if he would have went with her, like, right. You know, like as someone like who would look back at like how such major events can happen and unfold mm-hmm. in such seemingly nuanced situations of, I'm just going to go for a walk, take a picture. You want to come with? Nah, that's okay. If he said yes, his whole life could have went differently. It's uh, it's, it's really crazy when you think about all the different points in your life where a simple decision, you know, they've been horseback riding all day and she was just going to go take some pictures and, it's like, oh, you know, I've been riding all day. His back probably hurt. You know, I'm just going to hang back here. I'll see you in an hour when you get back. Yeah. Or he could have gone with her and maybe they both would be missing or they both would be back. I mean, who knows? Yep. It's really, you don't know. But yeah, it's really interesting. Just a casual, nah, I'm, I'm tired. And this whole kind of thing started moving. So, yeah. So at an elevation of 9,200 feet, it would be a slow hike with a vast amount of exposed granite. So it's not, you know, just like a a low level, easy trail, as you talked about the different features of Yosemite, but it's, it's not a walk in the park either. Yeah. So everybody saw her go walking over to the boulder where Gerald was sitting and take some photos. After she finished exploring that area, she told Gerald she was going to take a walk to a nearby lake. Or body of water. So this this is where it's kind of pieced together. They weren't sure. Yeah. But based on her location, the two nearby water sources were Long Meadow or Sunrise Lakes. Long Meadow was only a few hundred yards of walking away. However, she wanted to head to Sunrise. It was roughly a mile and a half away. So it would have been a much longer walk, like 15 to 20 minutes of a walk. She did not mention her exact destination. Stacy planned to take some more pictures of the lake. Gerald actually offered to accompany her, and they reportedly set off for Sunrise Lakes. The hike is across giant slabs of granite with small clusters of large trees that surrounded many of the hundreds of small lakes in the area. 
Some locals have raised concerns about the previous statement as the lake is nowhere in sight of camp. Here's one local statement. I lived and worked in the park for several summers and grew up in the region. I know the area pretty well, and the official description of where she went missing makes no sense. Purportedly, the group arrived at Sunrise uh, Camp where they planned to stay in some cabins. We are told Stacy left to photograph the lake, which was in sight of the cabins. There is no lake inside of the cabins. It would have been a very long hike to reach a lake, so there, that discrepancy is odd. The fact changes things a lot. If she really set out to photograph the lake, then there are a lot of distances and space that could have accounted for her disappearance. There are many crevasses and spots where she could have possibly fallen, and crevasses can conceal a body forever. However, not knowing where she went makes it difficult to guess. So there's a, there's a lot to take in there, and this is again where you start having that small incorrect decisions or missteps can mm-hmm. just slowly snowball downhill into a much larger incident, i.e. she goes missing. Yeah, and I think it's important to hear people that have lived and hiked in the area of, you know, a lot of their life to explain things like this because I know if, you know, I've been on hikes and parks and you've been on hikes in a lot of parks. And when you've only been in a park once in your entire life and you were there for a few days, trying to recall something that happened, I could see how you could, you know, describe this maybe to law enforcement incorrectly after the fact. Sure. Because you're not familiar with it. You've been there once. I I try to think back on some of our hikes, and even though we were in a park and, you know, on the trail for five days, it, it's sometimes hard for me to picture, you know, some of the larger features that we saw just because it, you know, it was unfamiliar and you're, you're tired, you're hiking all day. So I can see how there could be discrepancies in, you know, the the location where she went missing. Well, we've all seen those videos where it's like two different teams with basketballs and they tell you to see how many times the white team passes the basketball. And then, <laughs> then when you slow it down, what you didn't realize was like a bear moonwalked through the middle of it and you never even saw You know what I mean? But yeah. They do that test to show that like when you're focused on one thing, like something pretty crazy can happen and you will miss it entirely. Yeah. So like that's where like you get those recollection accounts of what happened and you can't always trust them Mm -hmm. unless you're like a trained professional or you're used to doing that stuff so and it gets even harder to do after you've been you're exhausted from a day of hiking and you know probably gerald the one guy probably provided the most information to law enforcement was a you know an older gentleman uh it it looks like he got tired pretty quickly so you got to maybe question his description of what happened to a little bit yeah, maybe. Yeah. So like, so yeah, he did actually accompany her for a little while down the trail, but then he, as you said, he got tired and sat down. The rest of the group could actually still see them. So from a distance, they actually saw Gerald sit down and then Stacy continued. It was at that time, the trail guide for the trip, Chris Grimes happened to look 50 yards up from the hill from his position in the corral and caught the last glimpse anyone would have of Stacy. Stacy stood on a large boulder and stared into the distance and walked further towards the lake into the sunset and behind some trees where she disappeared from sight. So she basically is walking through Gerald sat down cause he's in his seventies, you yep. know, and got tired at elevation took a break. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he was just going to sit there and wait for her after she lost sight. Gerald got concerned and returned back towards the cabin area and gathered the group when she didn't come back after a while. So immediately the group actually hopped on their horses and then an initial search happened where they went after her. So they reported, uh, when they found nothing, they reported her missing and activated local search and rescue. 
Gerald told park officials that he had spoken to a group of people coming from that direction that Stacy had taken, but they haven't even they hadn't even seen her. So this is where the locals are saying they don't know where the lake is. You know, she could have had a map and thought the lake was one way. But the reality is the group saw the direction she went. Yeah. So that does narrow it down a little bit. And then they continue to go down that direction. And I doubt she would have went too far off of any type of trail that was there. Yeah. But again, you never know if she was trying to get a shot or something and like it's that. It's dusk. You know, they yep. mentioned that she's looking off into the sunset. So uh, anytime you've ever been hiking in the mountains, it can get pretty dark fast once the sun sets behind a, you know, a mountain range. Oh, and then you start seeing stuff too. As yeah. Soon as the light starts dimming, you start getting, you start seeing different things and it can get weird. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I, many times you've been hiking. Yeah. And it, towards dusk, I always say like, we need to get to camp and get set up before it starts getting too dark. I've yep. been stuck hiking to camp in the, you know, dusk and dark and it's not fun and it, it's significantly harder. It's significantly harder. And in, in locations where there's a lot of hazards that you could, injure yourself on it's significantly more dangerous too yeah and a lot of those locations are unknown <laughs> yes <laughs> great plug <laughs> i'm sorry i had to <laughs> okay so the entire search team is estimated to be around 100 to 150 people so this is the actual sar team and with and they logged over 8004 man hours during the search this included 67 mountain rescue association volunteers and they represented most of the region's teams. So these are seasoned search and rescue people for that time. They had eight teams of canines that were out searching, and they were used over the course of 10 days, concentrating on a three to five square mile area around Sunrise Lakes. Three helicopters were also used in the search with the park's own contract chopper in the air for over 57 hours, according to the reports uh, in a book called Off the Wall. One report noted the SAR operation cost NPS over $99,000 in 1981. This is equivalent to $279,000 in today's dollars. So they really pulled out all the stops for this search. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of money to spend on one search. And obviously, whenever a child goes missing, I think people bring out all the stops. They're not, oh, yeah. They're not going to stop until they exhaust you know all the resources available and... I think uh, I think you see that here for for 1981. This was a pretty massive search and rescue operation. Uh, some reported that the search was carried out with military precision in in which they established a grid and moved methodically over the terrain yard by yard. So they were implementing more modern search tactics versus just sending out a bunch of trained people in the woods. Not saying that wouldn't work, but they really until they started doing those grid searches. It's really shoddy if you know what areas were covered, what wasn't. And because when you're in mountainous or wooded terrain, you really need to know the exact areas you've already been through and looked at before. Yeah, and this is really a precursor to uh, kind of one of the cases we talked about. I can't remember which episode it was, but the hunter that went missing and how they methodically went through the woods grid by grid and like tied string up in you know rectangles and covered yeah. every square of the woods. So uh, it's... It's cool to see that these kind of these search techniques go back pretty far. And I yeah. think when we talked to the search and rescue guy from Colorado, I think he mentioned that it was kind of the late 70s, early 80s when some SAR teams started to adopt those kind of search tactics. Yeah, it was like this time was this was the newer 
methodology that was proving to be very successful. Yeah. So the search also did include skin divers and mountain climbers. So they really, you know, they went to the lake. They assumed she got there, maybe fell in, something like that happened. But despite the efforts of the SAR team, the only thing ever found was a single lens cap from Stacy's camera just inside the tree line where she walked into the area by the lake. So this is like just in that area where they just lost sight of her walking that way. The Fresno Bee, which was a local paper, reported on July 28th in 1981 that Stacy was having some family or school troubles and was missing her boyfriend. So they must have got that from friends or something. But they're basically alluding to the potential that Stacy chose to disappear yeah. when she was on the trip. So we'll, we'll, we'll use that to get into some of the official theories. Um, I think uh, one of the theories we saw that if she chose to disappear, she seemed very poor planning in regards to it. You know, when she separated from the group, she would have not had to be convinced to put on sandals. She probably would have brought more stuff because they're, they, they got there on horseback. And when you're traveling horseback, you're moving very far. Yeah. And as they mentioned, this is the last stop among a 50 of a 50 mile loop. So yeah. she's going to walk off in the middle of the night. That just seems like a very, unplanned decision like her it, it seemed very evident to me that she was simply planning to go take pictures by the lake and maybe underestimated the distance but wasn't planning to escape the group and go hide yeah i don't think i don't think she left to go commit suicide or anything like that i think she's too young to create a plan to kind of like disappear and you know reinvent herself as someone else and live i, I don't think that that's the case here and I, you, none of that came up in our research on her. You know, no one in the party said that she was acting strange or, you know, she seemed like just a happy 14-year-old kid. And, yeah, yeah just I would agree. liked photography and was going to go take some pictures at dusk. So No, nope, I would agree. So what are the – I know, Mike, you got into some of the theories. What are some of the theories that you read about or what are your theories? <laughs> so uh, I'll go into kind of the law enforcement – doesn't didn't really have a theory in the sense because the case is still considered an open missing persons case. So they haven't closed it. They haven't, you know, pronounced her dead or anything like that. So, you know, she's still missing to this day. She could still be alive, um, though. I think that's it's highly unlikely. Uh, one of the most common theories that I found, and this was more locals that have lived in Yosemite and hiked it a lot was that she went off trail and got hurt, either fell in one of those deep crevasses or she got so turned around because obviously she didn't have a map with her. She didn't have a compass. Um, she's 14 years old. Uh, how many 14-year-olds are experts at, you know, navigating in the wilderness uh, without any kind of aid, you know, topographic map, a compass, a GPS, well, anything like at that. At night. At night. I mean, I'm, I'm very good at navigating, but I'm significantly diminished at night. Yeah, so I think I think it could be highly possible that, you know, if she's exploring alone off trail, which several locals that, you know, commented on this case said is very dangerous in Yosemite, especially at dusk, and not with no navigation equipment and not really experienced in the area, she also was likely distracted. So think of it, she's there to take pictures. So she's, if she goes off trail and she's not kind of familiar with the hazards of that park, 
she could be looking at like cool lakes and maybe there's birds and other animals not paying attention to her footing. And it would be very easy to, you know, fall into one of those crevasses or fall off a cliff even. I mean, we hear the stories at least once a year of people trying to take a selfie. Uh, it, it happened at Grand Canyon uh, not too long ago. Someone yeah, was and slipping off the edge or something. Yeah, like someone's that. trying to take a selfie and they just back themselves right off the cliff. So it's not unheard of for people to do that when they're distracted. So I think a really one theory that I think is really plausible is that that's exactly what happened. If she's out there to take pictures, I would say it'd be likely of her to maybe go off trail if she saw something cool and just kind of oblivious to her footing. I know when I'm hiking, I'm always looking at my feet, even on a trail, you know, a well-groomed trail, just because you never, especially if you got 40 pounds on your back, if you trip on a rock or something, you might fall and hurt yourself. (laughs) Oh yeah. And I've definitely done that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I think, I think that's a, a a possible case. Another another theory that I saw crop up quite a bit was some people now they're not knocking the search and rescue effort, but they were kind of saying that it's the search and rescue kind of seemed to cover a small area when you consider how large the park is. So she's you know hiking to this lake relatively light so she's got really no no gear on so she can probably she's young and you know healthy she could probably cover some pretty good ground the weather mm-hmm. the weather was good there was no issues with the weather there's no snow on the ground so the fact that they only had a 3 to 5 square mile radius uh does seem kind of small in the sense too if she got off trail and got turned around and started hiking like completely in the wrong direction, not towards one of the lakes and just kind of off into the woods. She could probably, I mean, there's a good chance she could get outside of the search grid pretty fast. So they, they must've been pretty confident. They had a a good idea of where she went missing then. Yeah. You would, the, the searchers must've known more details about the, the area where they, they think she went missing than is publicly available. But, you know, we always say that if you go missing in a national park, the first second you think you're missing, stop and yeah, stay there. Not move. Not move. And if, and if you can get to a trail, get to the trail. Yeah. Start making noise. Start yelling. Create. Try Maybe try to create a small fire to get smoke up in the air. But do not continue. If you're completely lost and you have no sense of direction of where you're going, the, the worst thing you can do is to start just aimlessly walking around you might walk into into a search grid that was already searched you might walk out of the search grid so you got to give the searchers their best chance to find you so you know you don't want to keep just moving around if you have no idea if if you have some marker that you see off in the distance and you know what direction that is then you know maybe you have a better shot of being found if you hike to that spot yeah but yeah, so people think maybe she got so turned around that she just started wandering around, wandered out of the search grid, wandered into a grid that was already searched. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think I think those are two uh, possible theories. I, I would rule out animal attack. We always like to rule out things. I guess it's not. Yeah, I would agree with you because they didn't find anything, and I think that's really – I think what we've, what we've learned and what I've learned from doing this show – is that I thought animal attacks were way more prevalent than they apparently are. Oh, absolutely. 
Especially like Barry Attacks. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's probably because, I mean, like, the cool shows are on that type of stuff, and they're always looking for sensationalist stuff, but... Yeah. Yeah, I was I was very surprised with the amount of, or the lack of animal attacks with how many people go in the woods. So, based on the fact that it's, as we always say, it's extremely evident when an animal attacks somebody, they didn't find any evidence of that at all. No, and if she would have been attacked within that that search grid, that five mile square mile search grid, they would have found evidence of a struggle, a predation. They would have found, you know, how terrible this sounds. They would have found, you know, pieces of clothing and yeah, uh, and they didn't find any of that. They didn't find any bones or anything. And you just looking at the animals in the park, the only you know that's not to say mountain lions and black bears wouldn't. If someone died and their body was left there, I think the animals definitely would probably move in. But oh, yeah. You would so. still find evidence of it. They're not going to consume the entire person's body. And so that's why I'm kind of ruling out um, animal attack. And it is amazing. Four million people a year in that park. How often do you hear about people dying from animal attacks in Yosemite? Yeah, I, uh, not often at all. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, so, and, and even in in those high traffic parks, you're like have the the dumb tourists that are feeding the animals and getting like close contact, and like you always hear about somebody getting gored by a buffalo. They don't die, but like because they just like will walk up to a giant animal and be like, "All right, I'm gonna take a selfie with you," and you're like, "That that's a wild animal. Like you can't do that." Well, you remember that video a couple years ago in Yellowstone of that little girl that got flipped up through the air by a buffalo. Yeah, and exactly. I think she was unharmed. <laughs> oh yeah, she was. She was. Per- yeah, that's why it was funny because she was completely okay. But it's like, yeah, don't let your kids walk up to like a fifteen hundred pound animal. Yeah, yeah. They can well, just flick its head just a little bit, and you're airborne. In in Denali last uh, fall when we were hiking, we saw a guy. We were hiking back to our car, and we saw a guy off the main road photographing this uh, female moose. He was maybe twenty feet from it. And the thing was staring him down, and we stopped because we thought we were going to witness somebody getting trampled by a moose. Yeah. And luckily, the moose ended up, you know, it kind of got closer to him and then stopped and then walked away. But it's just, it's things like that, that even with people like that who have no regard for how powerful these animals are, there's still very few injuries and even fewer deaths Yeah. in these parks. So I think we rule out animal attack in this Agreed. case. Um, elements exposure. I think she had to close on to survive a night in Yosemite. It sounds like the weather was perfect. It's mid July. So it's pretty warm. And like we said, it's very dry that time of year. Yeah. Benefit of the doubt with survival. I would even give her three nights. Yeah. I would like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm stretching it just based on the time of year, uh, the fact that there is water around. Yeah. Her biggest concern uh, would, would be lack of water if she couldn't f- somehow find a lake or a you know one of the many lakes in the area. Yeah, that time of year you can. I mean, I've I've done cowboy camping before where you're basically just out in the in the elements, no covers, just like with a pillow. Yeah, and you you can be just fine. Yep, I I think I'm also going to rule out foul play by one of the members of the group. I think the most likely suspect if you if you're going to go the foul play route would be Gerald. He was the basically the last person to have contact with her, but he was in view of the rest of the group the entire time, and they he was saw in view. And I think too old to pull anything off. Yeah, and she walked away into the woods and disappeared, and he stayed. He was still in view 
of the rest yeah, of the group. So I don't, it, I don't see how he could be a suspect in it. And everyone else was down at camp. Um, so I, there is the possibility that she ran into somebody on her hike to the lake and something happened. But again, they were way up in Yosemite. It, it's not a quick hike out of there, especially at you know dusk. Yep. So and that's that's where I'd say my two theories lied in either some form of abduction or accident. Yeah, I think of the plausible ones, I'm gonna go with she walked off trail to photograph, and she wasn't being careful of where she was walking, and she had some kind of uh, accident where she she fell down a crevasse or off a cliff or something and her body got um you know lodged like that local said where they can never sometimes they're never discovered yeah and that's I, I and see this is where i'd say i'm ignorant to the idea of crevasses that aren't related to ice fields or ice sheets because i know i've heard lots of stories and firsthand accounts from people who've lost friends in, in like an ice crevasse oh yeah and it's terrifying to think of because they say they can hear them yeah but there's so many crevasses, you just don't know where they went. Yeah, and I think crevasse in this sense, you know, just, uh, an, I guess, an opening and, you know, a kind of a, I don't know. It's a crevasse. Yep. <laughs> but so those are the the likely theories. So I I don't know. What do you think, Joe? I think you you mentioned you said abduction or maybe... I think abduction is far-fetched based on their location. The fact that everyone for the group was accounted for when she went. Yeah. Um, Someone would see her getting abducted out of there. I do. I don't think – I. this is obviously an unsolved case. Unlike some of our other ones, I think it is more clear-cut. And I would say I agree with you. I think she went off trail Yeah. and had some sort of accident. And if you fall into a deep enough crevasse, maybe the dogs don't pick it up. Maybe, you know, it's – yeah. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of underground caves and things like that where maybe she went down some little tiny little opening into a big cavern and mm-hmm. well, it would be interesting to know details from the search and rescue. But this is going to lead into my next thing I was going to talk about. It it would be great to know if the dog teams picked up any kind of scent. Were they tracking something and then it just stopped? We don't know any of this information because the federal government has flat out refused to release the case file. Uh, On so, just this case? Yes. So I did even so- with the FOIA requests. Oh yeah. So I obviously everyone's well. Fam- that's that's a uh, suspect. Highly <laughs> yeah, suspect. Highly suspect. Everyone's familiar with the missing four hundred one books. Um, David Politis has a whole series of books where he covers a lot of cases like this. He definitely takes a more conspiracy theory route in his books and, you know, Bigfoot or all these, you know, other, th- you know, things that are less likely. <laughs> sure, but we, that. yeah, we, we entertain him. We entertain him. But he does bring up a very interesting fact about this case. Um, he and other, there's been other people too, they've filed several uh, Freedom of Information Act requests with the federal government to get this case file released and they've been flat out denied. They, they literally told they will never get this case. Uh, he, even David Politis has, um, he's appealed the decision 
and he lost the appeal. And the the federal government used the excuse that they don't want to release the case file in case they switch it from a missing person to a criminal case, which is really strange because the case is over 30 years old with no leads. And the, the chief, the, the, the possible suspect in the case, Gerald, has long been dead. So uh, David Politis brings up, you know, he, he's going down the conspiracy route. He he's basically says, what is the federal government hiding from the public in this case? Like, What's who, in this case left file? to protect? Yeah. What, why would they flat out deny releasing a case file on a 30 plus year old case that's has no leads and well, they not to lighten it, but it's, it's a random 14 year old girl, the national park. Yeah. It's not like something that was around, uh, area 51 during yeah. some government, t- like it's, it's in a national park and yep. it just seems a little odd. Yeah. So that's a, that's an interesting fact about this case and the fact that they have released case files for other cases that are this old, that are still open missing person cases they've released those cases no issues i've even uh filed a couple freedom of information act requests and gotten case files on other people that have gone missing that are still open and no issue so it it could just be they are being stubborn and don't want to release this case but it leads you to think what are they hiding (laughs) yeah it's very bad optics yes i i can't for the life of me think why they wouldn't release the case file on this, especially if it has information regarding the search and rescue mission. Like did the dog teams pick up a scent? Were they tracking something? You know, who were, who were law enforcement looking at as suspects if they think it could be a criminal case? Uh, so it's, I don't know, it's just bizarre and it, it just adds to the mystique of the case. Are uh, there other, Missing persons in this area that are similar? Like, uh, yes. is there like a pattern? I will get to that. <laughs> oh, so I'm jumping the gun a little bit. A little bit. Um, before we get to that little tidbit, there was another fact about this case that is kind of odd. Um, so it's still listed as a missing person, and she was a child when she went missing, but she was never added to the National Center for Missing Exploited Children's Database, which... I'm pretty sure. Is that like it, a default when you have anyone that's a minor that goes missing? Yeah. Normally, normally if a, a minor goes missing, they get added to the to that database. And for whatever reason, she never was added. And I don't I don't believe she's in the database to this day, even though she wouldn't be a child now. Uh, so that's that's another interesting fact. Just I don't know that it means anything, but when you kind of add it up with all the other weird, like the case file not being released and it just kind of adds to, okay, this is more than just your typical missing person case. So, uh, you jump the gun a little bit, but there are three other people that two other people that went missing and another person that was found deceased in very strange circumstance during this time period in that same area or just at Yosemite. In this same area. So uh, the first odd case was 1968, and this is really strange. An unidentified man to this day, hasn't been identified, was found in a crevasse exactly one mile north of Sunrise Lake in an area called, I believe, Tanyea Peak. I apologize if I got that wrong. 
so a couple questions about this that jump out right away. This is a pretty remote area of the park, and they people want to know how how did he get there? How has this body never been identified? How do you how do you find a body in 1968 and 2020? Nobody noticed he was missing. No, they found. Yeah, no one. No one reported. But like I'm him. saying, like to report someone missing, they go, "Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, my loved one went that way, and now he's been gone." And yeah, that must be him. So yeah, to this day, he has not been identified, at least publicly. And so there's a lot of strange, you know, how does that happen? How how could this guy have gotten there, uh, in this remote part of the park? Uh, it also is interesting. How did they find him? How did how did they know to find him in this crevasse? So a lot of just weird uh, little facts about this case. Uh, the next disappearance happened in 19, uh, 1976. A guy by the name of Jeff Estes disappeared en route to May Lake, which is exactly 1.5 miles away from both Sunrise Lake and Tenea Peak. So the interesting question people ask about this disappearance is, this guy was backcountry hiking, so he had hiking gear, camping gear, all that stuff, and no, they never found any of his gear. So, so uh, he was in the crevasse, and none of his gear. No, so made it. no, the guy from 1968 was the one they found in the crevasse. This okay. was a, a second disappearance in 1976. Okay, yeah. So this guy, the first guy was found, but they never identified him. The second guy disappeared. They never found him or any of his gear. And he disappeared in a location that's exactly 1.5 miles away from both Sunrise Lake and Tenea Peak. So, wow. a little strange. <laughs> uh, then, obviously, you have in 1981, Stacy disappears en route to Sunrise Lake. And then the final strange disappearance around this time, 1988, Timothy Barnes disappears on the Murphy Creek Trail, which starts at Tenea Lake and goes northeast a half mile to Polydome Lake, which is also in the general area where Stacy went missing. And again, he was backcountry hiking. He had all kinds of gear with him, hiking gear, camping gear, and all of it's gone. They never found any of the gear. They didn't find him. And again, he went missing in this general area. So within a span of 20 years, you had three people go missing under strange circumstances and one identified body found that's still unidentified. <laughs> so... That it, is that is very weird, and that just reeks of like active serial killer. Yeah, right. And it's uh, not to say uh, Yosemite is a huge park, and when you have four million people visiting it a year, people are gonna go missing. And like, yeah, yeah, but and they usually get you, found when you narrow it down within a like a three square mile area and right. all weird. Yeah, that's when it starts raising flags. Yeah, and it's 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 a specific. 20 year time period and then it kind of there's nothing else after that at least nothing else that it the reports i read about these disappearances it was really it took a lot of digging to find this information so it's not readily available but it is interesting that it happened in that just 20 year period and then there's really nothing after that in that little area so yeah, maybe there like was some that, kind of serial killer that does change my entire <laughs> perspective on it it really does because that's way too that's way too coincidental yeah so something that's it may be that ties back into why the 
MPS won't release the case file. Maybe they know yeah, of a serial killer and they make reference in the case file and they don't want to scare the public from Yosemite, so they didn't release the case or file. Or if they're, if it's like legitimately an active investigation. Yeah. And they don't want to tip. Or maybe they found Bigfoot and they just don't <laughs> want to tell us. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. So it, that, 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 that's the whole thing with optics. If you don't release the information, you yeah. basically grant everyone the ability to go make up their own version. Yeah. People will go wild with, you know, crazy theories. And this is just the, the more sane theories. There's a lot of really crazy stuff out there on, you know, Reddit boards and. Oh, I'm sure. Well, other... as soon as you have the government does something that it doesn't normally do on this random seemingly random one case yeah it's like okay that's you know proof positive we're just gonna bring out all the crazies (laughs) so yeah that's that's kind of what i got for the uh the weird facts relating in this case i think there's definitely there was something going on there to have that cluster of people going missing in that time frame but does it fall on a ley line a ley line the those like uh gravitational oh (laughs) I think it's a ley line, or was that like where you find water? I don't, I don't know. know. I know what you're. I know what you're getting at. I, I'm bad. I'm, I'm bad at memorizing all these things. Yeah, right. I I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of weird gravitational thing going on in that part of the park. Yeah. I uh, I didn't find that out in my initial research, but uh, yeah. So this is uh, this case has been talked about a lot, and I think a lot of people have interest in it. It's one of the whenever I look up our our search information for our website, it's it's one of the missing people that gets searched for the most. So that's, there is yeah, a, that's, that is crazy. Yeah. There's a lot of interest out there in this case, even though it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty old case now. And probably a lot of the people that work the SAR mission are retired or passed away. And yeah, I would love to see like what their statements are. Or if anything has happened to any of the members of the team, like, I'd love to get that report. <laughs> yeah. We need that report. We need that uh, the report. Well, so we could sick our listeners on it if everyone just starts submitting FOI requests on Stacey Harris and see yeah. what happens. See what happens. Uh, you'll probably get denied. I think uh, I'm sure people are have been doing that. Yeah. Um, well, and a and, guy like David Politis, like he's got some clout and pull above and beyond like what we have significantly. Yeah, so if he can't even get it, there may be some kind of animus in the MPS towards David Politis at this point. I think I'm it's, sure it's, there's no secret that he, he definitely thinks there's uh cover-ups going on in the MPS and definitely thinks that they're, they're not being truthful to the public about the hazards of national parks. I mean, we always talk about, you know, national parks are dangerous if you're unprepared and you go in there thinking that, you know, you're the, the king of the castle, so to say, yep. <laughs> No, absolutely. But I don't know that there's some mass conspiracy going on in the parks that is being held from the public, but I do think the general public doesn't take yeah, I don't think hiking national parks serious. But yeah, they, I, I don't think they they think when it, they see like a park on TV and there's a parking lot and things like that, it's extremely safe and it it's it really can be dangerous. You know, yeah. a lot of a lot of people go in and out of the parks just fine with no issue. Yep. Even though they're not dressed appropriately all day long, but it's an odds thing and you just don't want to put yourself against the odds of something terrible happening. Yeah. And yeah. 
So. Yeah, and David Pilatus even mentions that he had his initial uh, request, uh, an agent from the Park Service actually reached out to him and asked questions, which is illegal to do. Um, or the, to try and like figure out why they want to know? Yeah, there, the, the, Fed, the law states that you don't have to have any reason. You, uh, U.S. citizens are allowed to request federal government documents. for no. They don't need to know your reason. Yeah, as long as it's not like a matter of national security, yeah, as long there as it's no reason. Yeah, not a national security issue, or they're not going to release cases that are still open investigations because sure. obviously. But the federal government has no right in asking anybody why you're asking for a case file. So yeah. it was very inappropriate for the Park Service to reach out and ask him questions about why he requested the case. But again, that adds to. Why, okay, why won't they release it? Why are they reaching out asking questions about it? Yeah, they're <laughs> like, making it weird. They're making it weird. They could just said, no, we're not releasing it and end it there. But then they had a guy reached out to him. And so I don't know. It just It's probably just government incompetence yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just makes for, it makes, you know, people's minds run wild, which I think they could have avoided by just releasing the darn case file. Nope, I agree with you. <laughs> well, I'll say with that, um, please log on to Facebook. Let us know what you think. Send us your messages. Uh, thanks again for tuning into the show. We appreciate all of you, our loyal listeners, for sharing our locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have the YouTube channel. We're always putting the audio for the shows on, plus Mike's always posting stuff from the National Park Service and, in, and other just fun information things. Um, if you want to support the show, we always have our hats and bumper stickers and we'll be coming out with the, the playing card deck soon. So we'll be coming out with that. And then otherwise you can also donate to our Patreon account, which has been recently updated. It has uh, a lot of cool tiers. We, depending on what, uh, you know, level you want to support us, we're going to do, uh, live zoom meetings with people and we can talk about cases or hiking or whatever you want to talk about. So, uh, go on there and, yeah, it's your time. Yeah, it's your time. Whatever you want to cover. And you can give me anything. If you want to support the show and not you know, monetarily, please go to YouTube or where, or iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts and give us a, a rating. You know, review the show. The more reviews we get, uh, the, the better it helps with the algorithms on Apple and the other services, and it helps us get discovered by more people. So you can help us out without even giving us anything. Just yeah. your review. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And remember when you're enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or just taking a walk, leave no trace. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.